Merry Christmas Eve. A few people awake anyway. <laughs> I'm not used to coming up here like on the verge of sweating from... <laughs> just told Evie another couple verses in the offertory to need a small oxygen tank or something up here. To... <laughs> I, I wanted to, uh, before I get into the uh, sermon this week, I'm going to be out of town next week, so, so I wanted to uh, just draw your attention to uh, something coming up beginning in January, beginning January 1st, actually. Um, uh, so the Bible frequently speaks uh, of the necessity of prayer. It contains uh, multiple calls to prayer. Um, it's, it's through prayer that we commune with God and and so, uh, in light of that, uh, what, what I want to do is challenge us as a church family to begin uh, 2024 with a prayerful focus. And so, um, starting January 1st, for the, the first uh, six days of 2024, you'll, uh, you'll see, you know, we've got the regular, the daily prayer emails that come out, and, and those are in the bulletin as well. Those will look a little bit different for those first six days. There will still be prayer prompts, but uh, they will include passages of Scripture to uh, read and then a challenge to spend 15 minutes that day praying for our church body in, in a specific way. Um, one of the days, uh, I'll just give you a heads up ahead of time, one of the days will, will contain a challenge to fast for one meal and spend that time praying for our church body. And, and then it will all culminate with our first uh, Sunday morning gathering on January 7th. Uh, it's going to be one in which we will come before God together and, and pray in, in various ways. So, so you'll get a reminder next Sunday morning. Um, we'll have an email that goes out uh, on the 31st as well with a reminder. And then, and then you can look for that uh, in your inboxes or in next week's bulletin. And that'll guide us through the, the, the beginning of 2024. We, we, are, we are completely, we are consistently reliant upon God. My hope is that uh, this prayer focus to start the new year will, will, will encourage us, it will remind us of that and encourage us to look toward God in all things. And not just for that first week, but, but then beyond for the rest of the year as well. So... So as we, as we move into the, the sermon for this morning, uh, as Tim read for us earlier in the service, we, we especially celebrate today the, uh, the birth in the city of David who, uh, of Jesus, who uh, the angels said is the Savior, is Christ the Lord. It's an event really that's worthy of being celebrated for the last 2,000 years, and and just as the angels announced then, it continues to be an event which speaks of good news for great joy. That's how the angel phrased it on that first evening, good news of great joy. Now, now the news about a, a new king or a new ruler in the land wasn't always met with joy by the people. Probably usually wasn't met with joy by the people. You know, if that new king was harsh toward the people of the land, if he had that kind of a reputation, then the gospel proclamation of his being enthroned would probably be cause for anguish or, or worry, but, but not joy. But the angels proclaimed to the shepherds and, 
and by extension then to us, that the birth of this new king was indeed a reason for joy. Not worry, not anguish, but joy. So, so we've spent the, the past weeks of Advent talking about a statement in Hebrews chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 16, we are encouraged with the reality that because of Jesus, because of our great high priest, we can draw near to God's throne of grace with confidence. It's been what's tied everything together. And then over the past weeks, we've talked about what that confident posture looks like. And so uh, we noted that it is, that posture is faith-rooted in the work of Jesus. Faith has to be rooted in Jesus. We noted that it is hope-anchored in the promises of God. We talked last week about how that posture is love-driven. It's love-driven because of the love which God poured upon us and with which he has filled us as well. And so today, as we wrap up the, the Advent sermon series, we're going to talk about how that confident posture before God's throne is also joy-filled. It's joy-filled because of our great high priest who made the way for us to come before God. We can draw near to him confidently, filled with joy. So I wanted to, I wanted to begin a conversation about joy this morning by by reading a quote from a guy named uh, L. Nelson Bell. So Bell and his wife uh, served for like 25 years as medical missionaries in China. Uh, Upon returning back to the United States, he founded uh, the Southern Presbyterian Journal, which eventually evolved into uh, what is today World Magazine, uh, something I've recommended before as a good resource for uh, biblically balanced news. Um, and in addition to all that, and you know, maybe what he's most famous for is L. Nelson Bell was the father-in-law of Billy Graham. So his daughter, Ruth Bell, eventually Graham, married Billy Graham. So Nelson Bell made this statement in a 1959 article in Christianity Today. I think he had an in with the guy who was the head of Christianity Today at that point, Billy Graham. But but this is, and he wrote an article in 1959, and this is what he said. Nelson said, uh, the only person in the world who has the right to be truly happy is the Christian. To the unbeliever, joy is entirely dependent on circumstances which are superficial and transient. On the other hand, the Christian's joy comes from a source which cannot be touched by the world. It is only as we realize who Christ is, what he has done for us, and the reality of his continuing presence, that the joy which should be ours becomes a reality. So so who Christ is, what he has done for us, was proclaimed all the way back in that statement made by the angels in the fields on that first Christmas night. Right? They said that a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, was born. So who is the Christ? He, he is the Savior. And what has he done for us? Well, he's, he's a Savior. He has provided salvation. He has saved us. So real, lasting joy begins in salvation begins in salvation. 
this is a truth which is stated all throughout the Bible. I mean, we see it all over the place. Over and over again, God's uh, joy is connected with God's saving work. And so I'll just read, read a few passages for you that highlight this. Uh, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 11, David writes this. He says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. So you see that connection David's making there. Uh, Isaiah wrote in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, he's, he's uh, writing in response to the prophesied branch from the stump of Jesse. Isaiah says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy he will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then a little later on, Isaiah wrote in chapter 35, he's looking at the return of the exiles. He writes, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and a joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So, all of those, those are all from the Old Testament. All of those verses look forward to the one who would, who would yet to be yet to come. Speaks of salvation found in God, again, looking ahead to Christ, but then connects it to the joy that comes with that. And then I want to read from the book of First Peter, the same kind of thing, but in First Peter it's looking back. Jesus has already come, so it's looking back on the work of Jesus in the lives of believers. And in First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he spends those verses, he talks about salvation. And then in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So salvation through Jesus Christ is the beginning of joy, the beginning of real, lasting joy. There's absolutely nothing better that can happen to us than to be forgiven, to be cleansed of our sin, to be brought into the kingdom of God. And because of that, when that happens, there, there is no better reason for us to be joyful. You know, I, I, as I look back over, over my life, I, I've experienced joyful times in life. 
as I think about my childhood and, and as a teenager, you know, I can reflect on you know, some, some trips we took as a family and the joy that, that I had in those. I can, can, think about, uh, can think about sports, you know, winning the conference track meet one year. That was, that was a joyful time. I think about Bible quizzing and the joy in that and, and some success that we had in winning quiz-offs. And, and, and as an adult, I, same thing, I can think of joyful times, you know, wedding day, the births of, of our children, um, baptisms and weddings that I've, I've been honored to perform, um, healing in relationships that I've been able to witness, um, and even, even uh, uh, funerals where a, where a follower of Jesus is, is finally set free from pain and suffering. There's, there's a joy that, that comes in, in that, but none of that should eclipse my joy flowing from God's work within me. I have no greater reason to be joyful than that. I've been brought into the family of God. I've been set free from eternal punishment for sins. God is conforming me more and more into a reflection of him. I mean, what, what great joy. And it all comes from salvation in Jesus. That's the beginning of that joy. I know I need to be reminded that that's where joy begins. And, and I hope for all of us, I hope that we can all find joy in salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you, if you look at yourself and, and you would say, I, I don't know that I find joy in that. I don't know that I tend toward joy because of, of my salvation in Christ. I, I would encourage you to, to spend time especially reading the Bible, reading God's Word, and what it, what it has to say about who Jesus is and, and, and what the Holy Spirit is at work doing in our lives and in our world. Uh, you know, the, there's so much there that talks about what is taking place within us as we are in Christ. Uh, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, I'm happy to, to have coffee with you and we can talk about all those things, right? I mean, there's, I'm confident that the more that we grasp God's work within us, the more joyful we're going to be in response to it. I think those things just naturally flow. Find joy in salvation in Jesus. And if you would say, man, I don't have that joy because I've not come to that place of salvation in Jesus, then I would want you to know that, that Jesus is the great high priest, as Hebrews speaks of him. He's the great high priest who has offered himself on our behalf on my behalf, on your behalf. He's paid the penalty for your sin. I mean, that, that's, that's the greatest gift that you could receive at Christmas time or, or any time throughout the year. That, that is the greatest gift that we could receive. I, I long for all of us to experience that joy that comes with that salvation in Jesus Christ. Again, as, as, as L. Nelson Bell said, when we realize who Christ is, we realize what he has done for us. The joy which should be ours becomes a reality. It becomes a reality. May that be your reality and my reality, that we are overflowing with a joy as we look upon the salvation we have in Christ. So that true joy begins in salvation. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. Because it is grounded in salvation, it also perseveres. 
It even perseveres through suffering. So we've been in Hebrews these, uh, these four weeks, and there's two places that I want to highlight this morning pertaining to joy and, and, and joy persevering and suffering. So the first is in Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to turn there with me. Um, page 1008 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to look there. This is what it says, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with confidence the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this statement in Hebrews 12, it comes after an entire chapter, chapter 11, where where the writer gave us example after example after example of of those who have come before them, come before before us and come before the, the recipients of this letter as well, those who had placed their faith in God. And then he, he ended that chapter by stating that those, uh, those individuals all endured in faith because they were looking forward to what was to come. Those individuals all lived before Christ and they were looking forward to that promise of God being fulfilled. They were looking forward to their promised salvation, quite literally. Then in chapter 12, the, the writer brings our attention to the ultimate example. He gave us all these other examples in chapter 11, but then brings us to the ultimate one. Jesus himself is the author and perfecter of all faith. And as the writer stated, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Endured all of the cross, all that came with the cross. So the the Roman method of crucifixion was, was meant to inflict maximum physical pain. That's why the English word excruciating has the same root as crucifixion. It was meant for that. Crucifixion was also meant to inflict maximum shame as well. That's why a person was crucified without clothing, typically, along a busy road. And then, in addition to all of that, Jesus suffered not only those things, not just the physical pain, not just the the shame, but the full weight of sin on himself as well. The spiritual pain which came with Jesus becoming sin for us is really is beyond our reality, our, our ability to fully comprehend. All of that Jesus somehow endured. He endured it. It wasn't because, well, you could say, well, okay, so he was fully God, you know, you know, of course he was able to do that. But Jesus didn't draw on something that was unavailable to us as he endured his suffering. He endured because of the joy that was set before him. That's what the writer tells us. He found great joy in knowing that that he would be seated at the right hand of God. I believe he found great joy in knowing that through his suffering, salvation would be made available. Made available to you, made available to me. 
I believe he found great joy in that. It was the joy of salvation that provided endurance for Jesus in the midst of suffering. But again, I said, you know, it isn't something that's unavailable for you and me. You know, we can't look at it and say, well, that was Jesus. Of course, he was able to do it, but what about us? Uh, if you want, flip back one page probably in your Bible and listen to the writer's words just a little bit earlier in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, he's not speaking about Jesus. He's speaking here about the believers that he's writing to. So in Hebrews 10, verse 32, he writes, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the writers drawing their attention back to previous days when those believers had faced hard struggles. The physical pain, the, the infliction that they endured was, was real. He reminds them of that. And yet, they were able to joyfully accept what was given to them. And the question is, why? Why were they able to do that? It's not because they weren't masochists or something like that. They didn't find pleasure in the joy that they were, in the suffering that, that they were experiencing. It wasn't joy in the suffering itself. The writer said it was because they knew that they had a better and abiding possession. And what's he referring to there? It's Christ. It, it's the salvation that they have in Christ. That's their, their better abiding possession. They, they joyfully accepted what was given to them because they had joy grounded in salvation. Nothing that, that anyone could do to them could steal that from them. That's why their joy, which was grounded in salvation, could persevere in the midst of trials. You know, I, I think sometimes as, as Christians, we can, when, when, we're, when we're talking with another person who, who's going through suffering, sometimes we can, we can give a trite answer to it. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of that kind of a thing when you've gone through suffering and someone has kind of given you a trite answer. And, and we can take a verse like, uh, like James chapter 1, verse 2. You know, Count it all joy when you meet uh, trials of various kinds. And, and we can... We can almost imply that, that, that the trial ought to be received with, you know, with a smile on our face and a skip in our step. You know, we, we, can, we, can, we can go there at times. You know, I was having a conversation with another uh, pastor recently. He said that sometimes Christians can place the greatest weight for showing joy on the one who is facing the greatest affliction. I thought, you know, that's, that, that's true. Sometimes we can maybe not, not realize that we're doing that or not intend to do that, but we can do that at times. And we can forget that the, the very next verse in James chapter 1, still part of the same sentence, James links trials with the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith. So you, again, you can even see there, there cannot be any real joy in the midst of trials if it is not for salvation in Jesus that, that is through faith in him. 
James would never say that, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials. He would not say that to somebody that does not have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Our salvation in Jesus is firm and secure. And so you can look at a guy like, like Justin Martyr. Even if you know nothing about him, you can probably guess with a name like Justin Martyr that he was martyred for his faith. And he was, eventually. He, he famously said, in the, in, in the face of suffering, he said, you can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. You can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. And, I mean, where does a statement like that come from? And it comes from someone who has joy that is grounded in salvation in Jesus, and that joy is persevering even in the midst of of trials. And, and he later lived out that statement to the end when he was beheaded for his faith. You know, I, we can look at our lives. I, I know I can look at my life, and that, there's times recently I've struggled to find joy. I've just struggled with that. I can get caught up in a situation and, and begin to, to see only, you know, that, that hardship or that suffering that's right in front of me. And doing so makes it difficult to be joyful. It just does. But what I've needed and what I continue to need is to remember that, that my joy begins in salvation in Jesus. Without God, without his work in my life, there is no, no reason for joy. There's no lasting joy that will come. But when I can look to Jesus, when I can look to the example that he sets, when I can look to the salvation he has provided, I can not only find joy in that, but but continue to have joy, even in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship. And I know, I know what today is. I know it's Christmas Eve and I'm up here talking about suffering, and that might seem like it's ill-timed, right? But, you know, the truth is, suffering in our life, whatever kind it is, whether it's physical, relational, mental, emotional, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it doesn't doesn't stop because it's a holiday, right? It doesn't take a day off just because of the day on the calendar. The birth of Jesus, our Savior, is good news of great joy. It is great joy in the midst of a fallen world that presses in around us. So I would encourage you to look to Jesus today to find the joy that can and does persevere through suffering that joy that is grounded in Jesus in the salvation that he gives to us. And it's, it's not about having a fake smile on our face, try to convince everybody else that we're doing okay. It's not that in, in any way. It's about experiencing the reality of true joy that cannot be taken from us because it's grounded in Jesus. And that is promised to us. So, so true lasting joy begins in salvation, it perseveres through suffering, and, and it's, it's going to continue throughout all eternity. There's going to be no end to it. You know, one of the things I do, maybe you do too, is, is look ahead to eternity and consider the great joy that we're going to experience when we're there, when we're in God's presence. I, I can think about pain and hardship and suffering just all being done away with. It's, it's vanquished forever. And, 
You know, we sing, we sing songs, there's hymns, uh, one, the one entitled especially that, that comes to my mind, when we all get to heaven, right? What a day of rejoicing that will be, right? And, and there's truth in that. There, there is definite truth in, in the fact that this joy is going to continue throughout eternity. Passages in scripture like, uh, like Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents that affirms joy experienced in heaven, in God's presence, right? That, that's the parable where, where two of the master's servants take what is given to them and they, they utilize it for their master's glory. And then when the time comes for them to stand before their master, give an account for what they've done with what they've been given, the master proclaims to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over, a mu- over much. And then how does he end it? Enter into the joy of your master. So, so in a parable like that, we ought to rightly understand that heaven will be a place of great joy. Great, great joy. We will finally and fully experience the complete joy which we were created to have. But in that, I don't want to take away from that. In that, we must not assume that real joy won't start until then, right? Real joy begins in this life, begins now in Christ. It grows, it expands, it is made complete when we get to heaven, when we're standing in the presence of God at his throne one day, but it continues. It's not joy that just all of a sudden starts. It continues throughout eternity because it has started here, again, grounded in salvation in Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven, he, he, was, he was always doing so with the understanding that the kingdom of heaven was breaking forth in this world now. He, he began his ministry in Matthew chapter 4 by, by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. So we, so we rightly look forward to our, our own bodily resurrection that the kingdom of heaven, right, that we're going to experience the promised eternity on, on the new heaven and the new earth. We, we should look forward to that. But we also should look to the joy that begins now in our salvation, which is what will continue and, and be made perfect, be made complete when we arrive in heaven, whenever that day comes. You know, sometimes, sometimes I wish there was like a, just a simple switch that could be flipped, like this joy switch, that any time I'm just not feeling it, facing something difficult, I can just, boop, okay, I got joy again. Or even for somebody else, like, man, I, they're having such a rough day or week or month, I just, just wish I could flip that switch and, you know, they would, they would experience joy. Just seems like something like that would be so nice, but obviously that doesn't exist, right? There's not such a switch. But but even so, it doesn't mean that we are just at the whim of our emotions. Right? We can move toward joy. We can open ourselves to joy, no matter the situation we face, when we dwell upon God. Right? As the writer of Hebrews said, let's look to Jesus as we run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, right? In essence, moving toward joy. 
his birth, leading to his eventual death and then resurrection, is good news of great joy, as the angels proclaimed. So as we look to Jesus, as we consider our salvation through him, I'm confident that we will find our joy either beginning for the first time or, or growing as a result of that. And I'm confident that we'll find our joy persevering through suffering as we continue looking to Jesus. And I'm confident that we will find our joy continuing throughout all eternity when that time comes as well. Again, because of Jesus, looking to him. So we shouldn't look to the things, we shouldn't look to the people of this world to provide lasting joy. Because it's, it's not going to happen. And we shouldn't allow the hardships of the world to rob us of joy. And again, I'm not trying to downplay suffering, but, but we can't let them rob us of the joy that we have in Christ. We must look to Jesus. And I, wanted, I just want to end with the words of Mary. And Mary was a young woman who was uncertain about what the future held. I mean, just imagine being unmarried Mary having an angel come to you saying, not just that you're pregnant, which is crazy enough, right? The Virgin Mary, but yet that this is, this is the Christ child. This is the Messiah. I mean, what, what questions and uncertainty she must have had in the midst of that. Mary then, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke these words in Luke chapter 1 at the beginning of, of what's often called Mary's song. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So in the midst of all that she was facing, all the questions that she had, she still connected joy to salvation, being saved by God. What a great encouragement I think that is for us this morning. So when looking to Jesus, we can, we should, Come before God's throne of grace, filled with joy. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's come before God. Let's praise him for the joy that we have. We'll sing a couple more songs focused on joy, as you might have guessed. Let's pray to God this morning. God, we come to you. We are, we are appreciative and grateful for your work in our lives. Book of Hebrews proclaims over and over and over again that, that Jesus is our great high priest. That he has made the sacrifice necessary for sin, that we are forgiven, we are cleansed in him. We're so thankful for that. God, I pray that, that you would help us to look to you consistently. There's, there's many things that come at us. There's, there's difficult situations that we walk through in this life. Situations of very real suffering. God, in the midst of that, would you help us to continue to look to you and to remember the joy that is grounded in salvation in you. Would you help us to persevere joyfully, God, looking ahead to what is to come, but also looking back at what you've done in our lives. 
God, I thank you that, that we can have joy, even in a world such as ours, a broken, fallen world. There's joy that is found in you. I pray that, that, that we would be a, a, a marked group of people, that others would look at us and, and describe us as a joyful people. God, I thank you that that is, that is who we are called to be and that that is possible in you. We give you praise this morning. God, you are the one who came to earth. You are the one who united yourself with humanity that you might save us. That is good news of great joy. God, we pray this in your name. Amen.